Join with me as we pray. Father, I thank you that we do have a message to tell, and it is about our Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. As we begin to celebrate Christmas, Father, I pray that truly your Son would be at the focus of this celebration. We thank you for all that the coming weeks are going to mean to us as families, and Lord, for the joy it will be to give and receive gifts. But, Father, remind us again that the reason for the Christmas celebration is your son, Jesus. And, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with maximum blessings. I just pray, Father, that we in turn would be good, good and faithful stewards. I thank you for every person that has come. I thank you, Lord, for the young lady who will be baptized at the end of this service. And, Father, just pray in these moments as we open your word that your spirit will teach us what you desire that we would become in following your son. In his name we pray. Amen. For the last two Sundays, we've been looking at the biblical concept of stewardship. And the messages have been entitled, uh, God's Maximum Blessings, Our Minimum Stewardship, in parenthesis, giving God just enough to get by. Folks, Thanksgiving and Christmas are such wonderful times of the year. Thanksgiving reminds us of all the many, many blessings that God has truly given us. And Christmas reminds us of the greatest blessing of all. God's own Son coming to live on this earth, to die on a cross, to be buried, and to be raised on the third day and to ascend back into heaven. Thank God He's coming back again at a time that He is appointed. But folks, as you and I think about God's maximum blessings, we need to look at the concept of stewardship and see what we're doing in being faithful to God. Because the Word of God teaches us, and one verse that we've been focusing on is 1 Corinthians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want to give you just in the event that you hadn't been here the last two Sundays a quick overview of what we've looked at. First of all, inspiration for these sermons came from a thought that I read in a devotional book. And the next three sentences were written by Billy Goodwin, who is a member of the Christian contemporary group New Song. And he writes these words. When God does something on our behalf, he doesn't just do the minimum required. He goes exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we can imagine. I've heard it said that just one sacrificial drop of Jesus' blood would have been enough to pay the full price for every sin ever committed. We also have found a definition of a steward. And this definition is by Warren Wiersbe, a great Bible scholar. He writes these words. A steward is someone who manages another's wealth. He does not own the wealth himself, but he has the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the profit of the master. The most important thing about a steward is that he serve his master faithfully. The steward must remember that the riches he manages belongs to his master, not him personally, and that they must be used in a way that will please and profit the master. We've also pointed out there are two very important steps in becoming a faithful steward. Step number one, we must believe and commit ourselves to the biblical fact that God has a plan for our lives as individuals, as a family, as a church. 
and also as a nation. And step two, we give ourselves to the Lord to become a blessing to others. We must never forget that stewardship is an act of God's grace in us that results in our helping others in Jesus' name. And we pointed out that it seems there are at least five areas of Christian stewardship. And I know that perhaps when we began this study, y'all thought, well, he'll have money first. And folks, I want to point something out. One of the problems, I believe, one of the weaknesses we have as Christians as we look at stewardship is just relating to money. But folks, stewardship relates to all of our life. But here's the five areas of Christian stewardship. Last Sunday, we looked at giving our bodies and our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember we read out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we present our bodies to the Lord, a living sacrifice, that our minds would not be conformed to the standards of this world, but transformed by the Spirit of God. So last week we studied about giving our bodies and our minds to Christ for his kingdom's work. Today, and we've got four left, and at the 830 service we only got through the next two, okay? But the other four remaining are finances, material possessions, number two. Number three, our time. Number four, our talents and spiritual gifts. And number five, our witness for the gospel. Well, folks, let's look at the area of being stewards in finances and material possessions. And before I go any farther, and if you're a visitor here, please tune me out for just a second, okay? Members of this church family, I want to thank you for your faithful giving to the Lord through your tithes and offerings and other ways you give to the Lord in this church. The last couple of years in our nation has been a very... um, hard time for many, many folks. Thank God that that most of us still have jobs and most of us still have a weekly paycheck that's coming in. But folks, you have been so faithful. This past year, we had adopted the largest budget that we've ever adopted. And and I just praise the Lord that it seems that all of that has worked out and we're, we're, finances have come in. God has been blessing. And again, I'm not saying that the toot our horn is a church. I'm saying that the praise and honor the Lord. Because if we seek his will, if we seek to be in his will, God will provide our needs. Can I have an amen to that? He will provide our needs. But folks, it is not just about money. It is about giving everything we are and have to the Lord. But let's focus in for just a few minutes on finances and material possessions. Stewardship of our finances involves several different things. First of all, stewardship of money acknowledges that God owns everything. Folks, what we have is only temporary. What we have materialistically or monetarily has been given to us by God for this life's journey. That's it. Folks, we're not going to need money in heaven, and I thank the Lord for that because uh, right now my pockets aren't real full, and I'm sure, sure yours aren't either. And I'm so grateful to God that the blood of Jesus Christ is the way that we get into heaven, not by our bank accounts. Can I have amen to that? I'm, is that not true? But, folks, stewardship acknowledges that God owns everything. 
And when God is our Lord and master, then money will become our servant. And we will use the resources that God has given us in the will of God. But let me point out the reverse to be true, that if God is not our master, then we will become servants of money. And we'll begin wasting our lives instead of investing them. An anonymous person, and I don't know when this was first written, but an anonymous person wrote this definition of money. Please listen to it. Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere but heaven and as a universal provider for everything except happiness. Folks, there are at least two things that money cannot buy, our way into heaven and personal happiness. And so you and I must break away from the concept of the world and see what God desires that you and I do as financial stewards. Christian stewardship also goes beyond paying God a tithe of our income and then using the remainder as we please. True stewardship means that we thank God for everything that we have and we use everything as he directs. Now, folks, again, this is not just something that I'm using to try and get you to give more money to the church, but I'm trying to get us to understand the biblical concept of where our blessings come from and how we are to use them. And let me go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. These verses are going to be on the screen, on the overhead. And let me kind of set this up. Moses is leading the people of Israel to the promised land. But for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. They griped, spit, sputtered, complained, like most of us do. And God told them that they had forgotten him. He had blessed them, but they had forgotten him. And listen to these warnings in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning with verse 11. Take heed lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness." with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Now listen to verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It is he that gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as at that day. Folks, listen. It is God who gives to us all the blessings that we have. And when you and I give God 10% of our income, it is the way that we begin to show faithful stewardship to the Lord. But folks, you and I need to remember that God should not only receive the tenth, but God should 
be in control of the remaining 90%. And the Bible teaches that when we are a wise steward, Jesus will use what we give him to win souls in the kingdom of God. And folks, I want to pause, pause right there and say this. I thank God for the faithful giving to this church. And sometimes we go through dry spells where it doesn't seem like we're accomplishing a whole lot, especially in seeing people come to know the Lord. But I believe as we faithfully give to the kingdom of God that somehow, some way, sometime, someplace, God is bringing more souls into his kingdom. But folks, there's something I want you to understand, you and I to understand as a truth from the word of God. We do not give our tithes and offerings to prompt God to bless us. We give our tithes and offerings because God has already blessed us. But in the scripture, God promises to bless us when we become faithful stewards. And let me give you two examples of this. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And folks, these are important verses. As the Old Testament closes, the people of God have turned against him. They've made a shambles of worship. And worship has been something on the outside and not something on the inside. Instead of giving God their best, they gave him what they were going to throw away anyway. Let me give you an example of that. In the Old Testament, people were commanded to bring lambs to sacrifice and animals to sacrifice to God. It was an act of confession of sin and an act of showing his worthiness. But people began to bring the animals that were lame and blind and weren't fitting for consumption. And so in essence, instead of giving God the best, they were giving him the worst. And listen to what God says in Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? At the 830 service, this was not in my notes, Vernon McGee is a preacher who is already dead, and, and Vernon McGee is still heard on the radio. And I remember one day I was going to Durham, and he said, you know, the biggest robbery at all takes place on Sunday morning. Now, you're not going to get mad at me this morning when I tell you this, because you get mad at Vernon McGee said it's not me, okay? But Vernon McGee said the biggest robbery at all takes place on Sunday mornings. When God's people do not bring their tithes to him, they're robbing God. But folks, listen, when we rob God, we're literally robbing ourselves. Listen to this passage of scripture. Will man rob God, yet you're robbing me? But you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings? You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And listen to verse 10. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now listen to this next phrase. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Folks, as I was studying this passage of scripture, it suddenly dawned on me. And I've preached out of this passage before, but this had never occurred to me. So often... We reject the overflowing blessing of heaven for that which is temporal, for that which is of pleasure, for that is of possessions of this life. And listen again what God speaks through Malachi. If we bring our tithes and offerings, God says, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. And folks, 
when we withhold our tithe, we're not only robbing God, we're robbing ourselves of God's blessings. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. And again, you remember we've made mention of 2 Corinthians, especially chapter 8, talking about the Macedonian Christians, how liberal in giving they were, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And in chapter 8, Paul speaks about how Jesus became poor for us so that we could become rich. In essence, he left his throne in heaven and came to earth and died on the cross. But as that book continues, the money that is being taken up for the saints back in Jerusalem, for the Christians who had lost everything because they had professed faith in Jesus Christ. And they were gathering an offering to take back to the saints. Listen, listen to what Paul says. The point is this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has made up his mind. Now, folks, listen to this verse, because I think this removes pressure from a preacher on you. Don't do this because I'm telling you this is what you should do. Do this because the Lord's word has spoken to your heart, and the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart. Listen to verse 7. Each one of you must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. And listen to the rest of this. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your resources and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You shall be enriched in every way for great generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the rendering of this service not only supplies the wants of the saints, but also overflows in many thanksgivings to God. Folks, I want to tell you a little story that I read this past week. And if you use the open window devotions, you'll find this. I think it's December the 14th. But a family was taking their children to church. And the little boy was given two quarters by his dad. And the dad said, son, when you get to Sunday school... This quarter is for the Lord, or one quarter is for the Lord, and one quarter is you can have it and spend later on this afternoon. Well, as the little boy was walking through the parking lot to get into the church building, he stumbled and, and went to fall, and when he did, the two quarters came out of his hand, and both of them were heading toward the storm drain, but one of them made it safely past and landed in the grass, but one of the quarters went down the storm drain. So the little boy walked over, picked up the quarter that landed on the grass, looked up to God and said, God, I am sorry that your quarter went the storm drain. <laughs> Y'all will laugh a little bit more when you get home. <laughs> Folks, don't we act like that sometimes? Let's move to the next one. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I am so grateful for your faithfulness and stewardship, but I want to tell you, until God gets a hold of our heart, you can hear sermons the rest of your life on stewardship, but until God gives us the right vision of money and its use and its purpose, it's only temporary, but it can be used in a great way for the kingdom of God. Folks, the third area of stewardship is our time. 
or put in another way, God's time given to us. Have you ever thought about that? Do we as Christians look at each day of our life as a gift from God? Every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, it is from God himself. You know, one of the greatest struggles I've had in life is, is to understand that, that time is a gift from God. The older I get, the more selfish I want to be with my time. Folks, let me point out a revelation that came to me when our first child was born, Rebecca. And I'm saying this, the show, I don't want to use the word stupidity, but show how uninformed I was, okay? For the first year of Rebecca's life, I was so concerned that something was going to happen to her. I was afraid that she would die in her sleep. I was afraid that something might happen and I wouldn't be there to give her safety. I wouldn't be there to help keep her alive. And so every night when she would go to bed, before I would go to bed, often I would walk in, I would tiptoe into her room and I would look at her sleeping to make sure that her, her chest was was moving so that I would know that she was breathing. If I got up during the night, I'd always go to her room to check her and make sure that she was still alive. And folks, I want to tell you, that was one of the most ancient year, anxious years of my life. And finally, one night, God impressed on my heart that each day of Rebecca's life and each day of my life was a gift from God. And God convinced me to stop worrying. And God helped me to understand that he never sleeps. So he would watch over Rebecca while I got some sleep myself. But the bottom line was this. He is the giver of life. And folks, that's a simple, but it is a very profound truth about life. Life itself Time, this hour, this day, they're all gifts from God. And folks, just like our money is a gift from God and our talents are a gift from God and the gospel is a gift from God, the gifts he has given us, he expects us to use them for what? For the glory of himself. Do we use our time for the glory of God? And folks, this morning, I'm not simply talking about coming to church on Sunday mornings. Although the word of God encourages us, God himself expects that we be a people that worship him. We worship him because he loves us and worship expresses that love back. But let me ask, ask you something. Are we faithful stewards of the time that God has given us? And again, please hear me. From a pastor's heart. And again, this is not simply about coming to church, about coming to Sunday school or going to church programs, but about giving our lives to serve the Lord. Outside of the time that we spend in this building, whether it's on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever other time you and I come to this place, other than the time that we're here, do we give any other time to God? And folks, I have been very foolish in my thinking in recent years. 
I keep thinking that in less than six years, I'll be 66 years old and I'll be able to retire and, and back away and I can live happily ever after. And that is so foolish because maybe that's not God's will for my life. Maybe I'll not live another six years. But folks, let me tell you what has really kind of turned my thinking around. And it was Reverend Tom Hoseclaw. Many of you know Tom. I don't want to call Tom a retired Methodist preacher. I don't think Tom's ever going to retire. And one day, Tom and I just passed. I can't remember if this happened at a hospital or where we were at. And Tom's already reached retirement age, but he continues to preach and teach and work and visit and serve the Lord. And I saw Tom and I said, Tom, when are you going to retire? And Tom said this, if I serve Jesus until the day I die, it will not be enough to thank him for all of his love and his blessings. And that gave me a whole new outlook. And I pray that it's going to give us the right outlook about time. Folks, every day is a gift from God. You know, we've gotten caught up in this idea of me time. Have you ever said that? I have. I need some me time. And folks, maybe we do need some time alone and time away from the ordinary everyday circumstances and pressures we face. But do we take time away from God? Folks, in light of all of God's love and blessings on us, are we giving our time to God? Because you see, our life now, until he calls us home, is to be given to God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5, 15 to 17. Listen to this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That expression, making the most of the time, is, is kind of an eye-opener. If you've got the King James Bible, it says, redeeming the time. If you've got the Living Bible, it says, make the most of, of every opportunity you have for doing good. Folks, let me ask you. I ask myself, do we see each day we live as an opportunity to serve Jesus Christ and grow in him? And folks, this was a business term. In the Roman world, redeeming the time meant buying up the opportunity. Now, folks, this, this is a whole other different sermon. And I'm not, I'm not knocking you if you got up at midnight and went shopping the day after Thanksgiving. You might have bought my gift then, so I'm not going to knock that, okay? I'm just seeing if y'all still with me. But just as we would, we would be so excited about getting a bargain and getting the opportunity to buy something at less than wholesale, or I guess that would be the word. Folks, how about daily living? Are we excited about getting the opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? You probably heard this joke before, and I was so worried about this message, I thought I'd better tell a couple of jokes to keep everybody awake, okay? 
He heard the story about the two men who went fishing one Sunday morning. And as they were fishing, a cold rain set in. And one man finally looked at the other and said, If I'd have known it was going to rain, I would have gone to church, wouldn't you? And the other man said, My wife's sick at home. I'd have had to stay with her. All hard this morning, I'm telling you. You know, so often if there's anything else we can do except do something to honor the Lord, that's what we choose, isn't it? And again, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm simply trying to point something out. Let me make some observations and we'll close, okay? Outside of time at church, do we give God any other time during the week? Such as, do we spend time alone with God in his word and in prayer? You know, I hope Jesus will not be a stranger to any of us when we look at him face to face. It's so easy to do a lot of talking about serving the Lord and being with him. But when it gets down to saying, God, I'm going to cut the TV off. I'm going to cut the radio off. I'm going to cut the computer down, shut it down. God, I want some quality time with you. We put off, we put off, we put off. How many of us are guilty of saying, Lord, I want this person to come to know you as Savior. And I want to lead them and coming to know you, but let's do it tomorrow, or let's do it next week. God, I will volunteer for that task, but I want to wait a couple more years. And folks, what about time spent in sharing Christ's love with others? I'm not necessarily just talking about sharing the love of Christ with a lost person. Our lives are passing us by. Are we living as Christian spouses? Are we living as Christian parents? Are we spending quality time as a Christian with our family? Are we building relationships with the lost and needy and discouraged and sad and lonely? And I know that doing this is very hard, and let me give you three reasons. And we'll close. First of all, Satan does not want us to give our time to God. Doesn't take long to figure that out, does it? You try and have a personal devotional time and prayer time in your life. How many of us have tried it and we just threw our hands up and quit? There's always some distraction. There's always something going on. There's always something that would frustrate us. There's always the attitude that it won't do any good anyway. Time spent with God is the most transforming time in our lives. And secondly, it's hard because Satan desires that you and I be self-absorbed, self-centered, lavishing all our time on ourselves. And that fleshly, worldly nature, even within us as Christians, gives us the mindset that this life belongs to me. How many of us are hung up in that? This is my life, and I'll do with it when I please. We pursue pleasure and self-gratification and self-glory. But folks, 
Let me remind you the words of our Lord. Several Sundays ago, you remember we were preaching out of Mark chapter 1. And Jesus told those fishermen, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become. You see, the Christian life is truly a journey. A journey in which Christ wants to draw us closer and closer to himself. And then one day he calls us home. That following him is a process of giving not only our body and minds, our finances, our talents and gifts, but it's giving our time. And in a world in which we are so hard-pressed to find time for everything we want to do, we need to make sure that we make time for the things we should do. And that is to be faithful stewards of God's time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we can live for you in your power, not our own. And Father, we are bombarded with reasons not to give ourselves to you. So often we think, well, I made a profession of faith in Christ and I've got entrance into heaven when I die. So I'll just live each day as a please and not worry about anything except satisfying myself. But Father, I pray that you'll help us see that the greatest blessings come in life as we pick up our cross, as we deny ourselves and as we follow you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless the stewardship of this church. Lord, help us to see is much greater than giving money. It's giving all that we are to the Lord Jesus Christ for his honor and for his glory. And so I just pray, Father, that you will continue to work in our hearts and lives I pray, Father, that through this journey of of growing as a Christian and becoming more in Jesus' image, that, Lord, we will surrender everything to you. And, Lord, as we stand together in just a moment and sing a hymn of invitation, I pray that if there's someone here who needs to make a new commitment to you, Father, maybe a first-time commitment, maybe there are those here that have trusted you as Savior in recent weeks, but they've never professed it before men. Lord, I pray that you'll give them the courage to come down the aisle and say, I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I've asked him to come into my heart and be my Savior. But, Father, for us as Christians, Lord, help us to make a new commitment to you. Help us, Father, to be found faithful stewards. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.